words be truth. And that I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. There's a real powerful message in those few words in that song. Let our words be life and let it be truth. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. We talked last week from the book of James. And tonight we're going to tackle the third chapter of James, which a lot of people refer to, although I don't know if we see it up there yet. Taming the tongue. How many people have ever said something that they wish they hadn't said? <laughs> How many people have said more than one thing that they wish they hadn't said? <laughs> I know I have. And I, you know, I, I, I thought about as I was preparing for this a story that I heard one time. And a little bit of humor, but I, I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll share this with you and Hopefully you'll find it as humorous as I did. But there's a story of three preachers who went out together to fellowship with one another and encourage one another, and they got together, and they decided they were going to go out into the ocean. And they got on a boat and sailed out or, or motored out, and they got so far away they couldn't even see land. So they're out there in the vastness of the sea, and they're seeing all of the sky and all of the things that are out there. And they started reflecting on how big God was, how wonderful God was, how, how awesome he is. And then they just said, look, why don't we share with one another things that we struggle with and things that are, that are, that, that are difficulties for us. So they all thought that was a good idea. So they said, well, to the first preacher, they said, well, what do you struggle with? He goes, well, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with alcohol. And uh, I, I, I like to take the bottle every once in a while said. And the others looked and said, well, that's very honest, and I appreciate you saying that. They asked the next preacher, what about you? What do you struggle with? And he says, well, I'm going to be just, you know, completely honest with you. I struggle with lust in my heart. I see women in my life, and I, and I desire them, and, and, and that's something that I struggle with. And they both, you know, they all looked at each other and thought, wow, that's very open and Candid, thank you for sharing that. And then they asked the third preacher, well, what do you struggle with? And he says, well, gossip, and I'm really waiting and can't wait till I get back to shore. <laughs> oh, too bad he didn't go first, right? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's something, gossip is not the only, it's really, it's, it, there's, there's all types of things that we speak that can have an encouraging factor or a discouraging factor. There's so many other adjectives that we could apply to that. And I just think as I looked at this and really just felt, I felt God has been just really putting this on my heart for quite some time, in fact, this idea of taming the tongue. And so I'm going to start with James... uh, Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and it looks like we're having a little bit of problem there. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. But I'll read to you from, the, uh, from James 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. 
For we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I think that James is saying that in a broad sense of people that are teachers or preachers or people that have uh, uh, those type of assignments in a church. But I think particularly as it relates to the first verse in this third chapter, he was setting a, uh, a standard for what he was going to talk about in the next particularly 11 verses. And I believe that people who are in leaderships, I don't think they're any better than anyone else. I don't think they're any uh, more favorable in the eyes of God. I think all of that is really an equal level playing field. But I do believe that there is more responsibility and there is more of a standard that you uh, should, should set for yourself if you're in those positions. And I think there's a greater expectation that people should have of you. If you're in those positions, I really believe that. And I think that's what James is saying here. In the second uh, verse, he says this, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now think about that for a moment. If we could control our tongues, we could control ourselves in every other way. All of the other things that we struggle with, all of the other difficulties and challenges that we have, all of the temptation, all of the, the sin that we battle in our life, all of the, the, the darts and the, and the attacks of the enemy, all of those things, we would be able to control those things, I believe he's saying here, if we could control our tongues. We would be perfect and can control ourselves in every other way. So now every day we speak statistically, thousands of words. Every day that we speak, we speak thousands of words. Some of them are carefully planned and selected. Some of them are off the cuff and spontaneous and, and uh, impulsive in some cases. Some words are spoken softly and quietly. You might say that and, or maybe because of your surroundings or because you want to maybe whisper something. Some words are spoken more forcefully and, and loudly and they're maybe do, doing that to to make a point. But the words that we speak are spoken, and there are many of those that have the intent to help and to encourage. And there are many words that we speak. And when I say this, you're going to hear me saying we a lot tonight. I'm not speaking to anyone here in particular. I'm not saying that this is anything that is directed at any individual. But I believe that collectively... Because of what this says in chapter 2, that we would be perfect. We're not perfect. We're not going to be. And I'll talk about that in a minute. We could control everything else in our life if we could control our tongue. Well, we can't control everything else in our life. God helps us every day, but we can't control all of those things. And we can't control our tongue. That's just made clear in this third chapter of James. So when I'm saying that, please understand, I'm not, I haven't picked this as a subject for this group tonight. <laughs> But I do believe it's important for everyone, and, and, and I believe it's important for me. But there's words that you speak that also can be designed to discourage and to, uh, and to, uh, to insult people or to uh, retaliate about something else that's occurred that you're trying to get back. There's a lot of ways that we can speak, even if it's subtly. It doesn't have to be something that's where you're you know, cursing someone and being very forceful about it. You can say things very subtly, but they can still be very destructive. You can say things subtly and in a quiet voice, but they can still be very destructive. 
And so we have to just always be careful, I believe, about our words because I think, at least I believe it's this way for me, I believe most of the time I speak to other people and other things when I'm having conversations, I'm not putting a lot of advanced thought into how that's going to affect people. Maybe I should. And I'm not saying I don't at all, depending on what it is, if I have a chance to really think through and prepare what I'm saying to someone. But when you're in conversations with people, when you're doing things, you may say things that aren't well thought through. And you may not, and well thought through in the sense of how it might affect not only the person you're speaking with, but perhaps those around. And so I think it's very important that we do that. And as we look back at that second verse, it again says, we would be perfect if we could control our tongues. We would be perfect if we could control our tongues and also could control ourselves in every other way. Now, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, just so you'll know, because we don't have it up on the screen. I know they're working up there, and I appreciate you guys doing that. But if you, if you look at that, I look at the New Living Translation as the base for what I'm doing, but also look at it in many other translations, and really it all comes to basically say the same thing, using a few different words. The next verse in, in chapter 3, uh, verse 3 says this, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in their mouth. How many people have ridden a horse before? Okay, I want to tell you a quick story. I've ridden a horse once. <laughs> and the time that I did before that, I hadn't ridden one before. And I had a friend of mine, he's actually a very well-known gospel singer, his name is B.B. Winans. And he and uh, his sister Cece Winans were friends of mine. She did not go, but he said, hey, one day when we were doing something together, why don't we go horseback riding? I said, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. Well, come to find out when we arrived at the stable, he knew everyone there. Everyone knew who he was. He was, this was his hobby. This was his passion. Like a lot of people play golf or play tennis or do other things. He loved to ride horses. That was his thing. And he had done it for years. Well, not me. But, of course, I didn't want to let him know that I couldn't handle it. So I had to be, you know, I had to put on the persona of being, you know, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, this is fine. It's just a horse. I'm going to get on that thing. Have you ever seen a horse up close? They're big. They're big. I had a slide of it, but it's okay. I, they're big. They're powerful. They're muscular. They're majestic. We're going. He's got, he's got it. He's working it out. Thank you so much, Brother Rich. Can I, we just give him a round of applause for this? This guy, no, you're still not sure? Still working on it? It's okay. Something came up there. But a horse is powerful animal. Big, large, huge. So I'm sitting on this big, large, huge animal, and he's sitting up there, and they're all getting us all squared away, and then the next thing you know, he takes off. Well, my horse follows that horse. He's an experienced rider, and he's galloping away. And there's a difference between trotting and galloping. I learned that that day. This horse was in a full gallop, and my horse was going to catch him. So as we're going now, and all of a sudden we're out in this open field, and we hit this trail that narrows down to what looked like the size of a half of a doorway to me. And I'm seeing that horse up there, and I see every little, it's a trail out somewhere just on the outskirts of Charlotte, North Carolina, in the woods. 
And it's not a trail that they went and put a bulldozer in and carved out. It's just a trail that had been ridden, apparently, by a lot of people riding horses. He's taking off, and I see him moving his hands a little bit, moving his shoulders, and then as the little twists and turns in the trail and little nuances, he's moving that. He's controlling that horse, man. And thank God I was behind him because at least my horse was following him. But I tell you, he was going, and, and I was looking at that, and I had no control. I, had, I, I was scared to do anything because I thought if I did something at that speed, you know, I might scare him or do I didn't know I wasn't. I didn't know what to do. So I'm, we're galloping along. We're going, and I'm telling you, I'm frightened. <laughs> I mean, I like, and he's up there, and I just see him. He's got such control of this horse. And I know I have no control. So he comes to this part. It's a little, little turn, a little bend. And he goes around it. And as we come around it, see, the horse I had, because he was controlling it, he was staying in the center of the trail. Because it's like driving a car. You know, when you drive a car, you don't just let the wheel go. You have to sort of move it back and forth, right? To keep it straight, right? That's the same thing with a horse. They don't just go in a straight line. They have to be, if you've got a little bit of movement, they've got to be put, and you've got to control them and keep them in the center of the trail. I wasn't in the center of the trail. I was on the trail, but not in the center of the trail. We came around that curve, and he was just going like crazy. And as I saw, I saw this limb that had come down and had fallen down a little bit too low, and I just went, ah! And I didn't get down quite low enough, and it hit me across the face, and it scratched my face. It was bleeding a little bit, not serious at all, thank goodness. But I just remember thinking at the time how impressed I was that he had control of this huge, powerful, muscular, majestic, really beautiful animal. And his horse was bigger than mine, and I thought mine was pretty big. Most people tell me, Billy, you're a big guy. Not compared to this thing. I'm, I'm a dwarf. <laughs> and so... You know, I just, I always will remember how he was able to master just the, and, and fine-tuning control. And then, as I looked at this verse, I thought, look, we make a horse go everywhere we want, this big, powerful animal. Wherever we want it to go, we can do that by this small little bit in his mouth. That's what, that's what, the, that's what James is saying. This small little thing, we can turn him, this big, powerful animal, and control him to go where we want him to go. Then in verse 4 it says, And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Now, has anybody ever been on a cruise before? Okay, if you haven't, have you seen the cruise ship? I just happened to go on a cruise uh, recently, and we were on one of the smallest ships that's out in the cruise uh, family of ships that are out there. And this thing was enormous. It was a floating city. Cruise ships are floating cities, you guys. You haven't been on one. They're enormous, and this was a smaller boat. They had these boats that are so amazing. Here's one right here. Thank you, Lord. You can't see this, and I'm sorry. I should have probably just made this a full-screen slide. But if you look right here, that's a 747. By the way, this isn't the largest ship in the world right now. It was at the time of this graphic, but it's not now. There's even larger one. That's a 747. Look at the size of this thing. That's a double-decker London uh, bus. That's a Mercedes. And so those ships can be controlled by the people that know what they're doing with very subtle, minute adjustments. 
in thrust and in rudder. And that's what James is saying here, that even a huge ship can turn whenever the pilot chooses to, even when strong winds are blowing, because he's got control of that rudder. So just a little fine adjustment there, and he's moving that ship where he wants it to go. In the same way, in verse 5, it says this, The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. A tiny spark, the same way that you can control a ship with a rudder and a horse with a, with a bridle and a bit in their mouth, the tongue is a small thing that can control or affect many things. And so, there's another thing I was going to talk about, but since I don't have that, I'm going to move on. But many people remember in history the fire, the Great Fire of Chicago, right? It was in 1871, it burnt down most of the city. 17,500 buildings destroyed. 100 people, 100,000 people, excuse me, lost their homes and were homeless. And, and here we go. And and if you know anything about Chicago, that inset on the right there represents this. That represents Grant Park and all on the south side. All of this is main downtown Chicago, then the north side up near Wrigleyville. All of that is Lake Michigan. That is a huge part of Chicago there. And if you saw it on a larger map, you could see that. But, again, 300 people died. It was a massive thing. And what it was... Folklore says, started was by a cow kicking over a lantern. A little spark started a fire that burnt down an entire city. See, I mean, the, the, the idea that I believe here that, that if we go to verse, if we can go to verse 5, or the, uh, go to the slide for 3 to 5, it says here, but a tiny spark, it's the one before that, A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And I say that because what I'm trying to do is frame all of this into an understanding of what I think James was saying is that it doesn't take much from this tongue to affect things in a very significant way. A very significant way. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. So now we're going to go to verse 6. And it says this, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. All of the parts of this body that God made, the organs, the way they all work together, our central nervous system, our brain, our blood, our veins, how it all works together in perfect harmony that only a creator could have done. This body that we have, all parts of the body, Of that, the tongue, the writer says, is a flame of fire. And I thought about this as I was looking at the different translations and trying to understand different perspectives on this. And I thought when I saw that, the flame of fire, I thought when I'm speaking, the power of what I'm saying, it is a flame of fire. And I started thinking about it like a flamethrower. Have you ever seen a flamethrower that like the military uses and they... And they have, as you see them in movies maybe or whatever, and they they spray these huge plumes of fire 20 and 30 feet out. It's very awesome and powerful when you look at it. And when you see that, I thought of my words, what I say, according to this 
meaning that it's a flame of fire. What I say is, is creating this flamethrower of words. It also says here it is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Think about that just for a minute. Is this like, is he over-describing this, or is he trying to make a point that this is important? I think James is saying that this is, he's not, I don't believe at all he's overemphasizing it. He's saying that this is a corrupting force on our body, and it can set your life on fire. In the ESV it says, in the ESV it says, it can set on fire the entire course of life. You can have things set up in your life, things that are out there that you're planning to do, that you're working toward and moving toward, and things that you say, the things that can come out of your mouth, or others, can actually burn up the course of your life. It can burn up your life. And I just believe that when you're dealing with that kind of power, you have a responsibility. I'm going to say that again for those of you who might be dozing off. If you have that kind of power, you have a responsibility. Do you agree with that? You have a responsibility. And I think that's one of the things I want to really sort of, to, sort of hone in on tonight is the responsibility because the power of this can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. This is serious, serious stuff that he is speaking of here. And I'll tell you a little story about something that, that I think indicates a little bit about how powerful words can be. There was a, a famous singer in the 1970s. Her name is Karen Carpenter. Anybody ever hear of the Carpenters? Marvelously talented person. Tremendous voice. She and her brother had this group, many, many hits on the radio. And just lovely, sounds melodic, talented person, gifted person. And she had gotten to a point where she had struggled with her body weight. And what happened is she acquired this, what we now know as anorexia nervosa, or anorexia, as we refer to it. And ultimately, she lost her struggle with that. She died as a result of that. Unfortunately, way too early and way too young, as you can see. She was only 33 years old. And she died, and of course, with her whole life in front of her and all of the marvelous talent and everything that she had. And so there was an article that was being written about her after this happened, and they asked members of her family and people that were close to her and who knew, when was it that this started? You know, I mean, when did it start? How did it, how did it start that she got so crossed up that she ultimately died. And what they said was, is that most of them remembered this, that there was a pivot point. I'm sure there were other things involved in it. But there seemed to be a pivot point, and it was when a music critic that was reviewing one of their albums had written a review of the album, and they had referred to her, because giving most of the credit in this particular individual's view, to her brother Richard, and referred to her as Richard's chubby sister. Now, those are three words that I'm sure weren't intended that way. Very important to note. wasn't necessarily intended that way. But Richard's chubby sister 
now became obsessed, and, and I'm sure there were other things that affected it, but got to a point where ultimately, several years later, it resulted in her death. See, the words that we say and the things that we speak have the power of death and life. This is said in Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can bring death or life. That's, <laughs> that's pretty powerful stuff. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And so as we move on through this chapter, I want to just tell you something about the next verse on an illustration here that we have about pet training. Has anybody ever been to SeaWorld by any chance or have you seen it on TV? I know it's very controversial now, but, you know, this is something I just want to tell you. There's a show here at SeaWorld called Pets Ahoy. We were able to go to it a few years ago. And you see here these trainers, they have all kinds of things. They have dogs, cats, squirrels, skunks, pigs, and they train them to do all these things. And it's this big show. It's very entertaining. Very humorous. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a can't miss if you go to SeaWorld. You need to see this show. And one of the things that just illustrates here is how the dog's got the jump rope, the trainer's got the other one, and the dog is jumping rope. It looks like happy. <laughs> You're a little bit. But he's jumping rope, right? And so then they have all kinds of things to do. Look at this next slide, also at SeaWorld. Four dolphins and unison jumping over this boat, and this picture captures them right when they're all together. How in the world can anybody explain to me after this service how they do that? How do they get them to do that? They don't speak language. It's not one, four. And then all the things they do in this pet show. And then here over to the right, you see a circus performer. Here's one guy. Now just think about this. Here's one guy standing in a cage with a whip. And three tigers. Now, who, <laughs> sorry, but I hope he's a praying man. Because he might need it. I mean, honestly, I don't know how they do that. How, first of all, they have the courage. But they have to do a lot of training and a lot of things that they do well before they get to any of these stages that we see here in these photographs. Well, in verse 7, it says this. People contain, James saying this, people See there, and of course, must have been happening back in the first century as well, to some degree. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Again, it's trying to just continue to illustrate how all kinds of other things can be done, but you can't tame the tongue. How many people here, by either Lifted hand or stand to your feet if you want to. Because you got to, how many people have tamed your tongue? How many of us? Come on, there's got to be one. Of course not. We can't do it. And it's important that I'm walking you through this because I want you to hear what my thoughts are on this. I, it's not something that's in our capability as human beings. In fact, in the English Standard Version, it says this. It says, in it, where it says here, but no one can tame the tongue. It says no human being can tame the tongue. No human being. That means none. Not some, well, this guy can or these people can because they've got certain skills. You can't do it. Now, I'm not saying that you can't improve, that you can't grow, that you can't be spirit-led. 
that you can't have things internalized through the Word of God and through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as you walk with Him, that you can improve and do these things that make a difference, but you can't master it. It's undoable according to this. So it says on, it goes on to, in uh, James 3, 9, and 10 that we're going to move to the next two verses. This is something that, that really this is so meaningful to me. Sometimes it, meaning the tongue, praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. That makes me feel like all the mean things and stuff I've said about people here and there. Every time I've looked at that, and, and by the way, I have done that. Just so you'll know. Everybody's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh, he, yes, I have. <laughs> have you? <laughs> I, 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 I'm a lot better at it today than I was 20 years ago. And I'm a lot better at it today than I was 10 years ago, and five years ago, and five days ago. And you know why? Because I'm trying. I'm making an effort. I'm asking God to help me. I'm trying to live a spirit-led life. And by doing that, it's not perfect, but I'm taking a step each day. And that one step turns into another step, and I get closer to Him, and I'm living more for Him, and I'm letting Him help me, and then He makes me think. He convicts me. He knows what I'm thinking before I even say it. He helps me, and the next thing you know, I'm better at it. I'm better at it. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm better at it. And that's what I want us to do. I'm not, look, there's a lot of mature believers in here. I have such awe and respect for so many of you, all of you really. But the ones I know, I mean, you, 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 there's many people here who are at different levels of their walk. But let me tell you something. No matter how long you've been serving the Lord, by the way, Pastor, can I ask you a question? Have you ever had trouble with your tongue? I didn't think so. I wanted to make sure we set him aside. I didn't want to include him in this group of degenerates. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean that in you know. I'm sure he would tell you that he struggles with it just like we all do. But through his life and his experience with walking with God, he's gotten better at it. He's gotten better at it. And that's what we all can do. And that's what we all should do. And especially when we're talking about things, there's a video for any of you who are on Facebook. Go to the First Assembly Facebook page when you leave here tonight, simple or tomorrow, and look at a video. It's going to be posted up there. And it's a five-minute video, and it illustrates this point exactly. And just take five minutes to go look at it. It just makes you think about people who are praising God in one breath and attacking people in the other. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it goes on to say that. Everybody's made in the image of God. Amen? Everybody. So it says here in verse 10, And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Is there any ambiguity there? This is not right. And we need to, in our own Spirit in our own daily walk, in our own life, recognize and 
say that, and I'm saying this forcefully because we need to challenge ourselves at any time something like this that the enemy tries to bring in and creep in, we need to say to ourselves, this is not right. This is not right. And I'm not going to say that. I'm checking myself. And I can do it if I'm leading a spirit-led life. I can't do it otherwise. I promise you that. But I can do it if I'm being led by the Spirit. I can. I can improve. And I can say, God, help me to know when that time is and check me. And when I do, let me be responsive to it. And let me do that. And then guess what you just did? You took another step. You took another step. You got a little bit better. And the next time is better. And God builds your faith. And he builds your toolbox. And he keeps giving you things that can work in your life. That then can can begin to speak those words of truth and life and encouragement and uplift and edification into the lives of all of those around us. He can use you to do that. And I believe this from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to tell you something. That may be a little controversial. I don't know. Maybe not. I believe that we, through the words that we speak, it may be times we know it, and it may be times we don't know it. That I believe the words that we speak impact other lives and their eternal destiny. I believe it. There are people whose lives and their and, and their and their eternity, where they're going to spend eternity. What we say matters. Not just to them, but the people that they might hear of what we're saying. Don't you want to be somebody who, like in your workplace or in your family or at a restaurant or at a, anywhere at a drive through window when they've messed up your order, whatever, that the words that you speak are, as the song said, turn the world's eyes back to him? That's what we want to do. That's what we are instructed to do, and that is what we need to do. Because we can't praise God out of the same mouth that we're going to speak words of negativity and discouragement and things that that tear people down instead of building them up. We can't do both and really be effective. And I believe that there are words that can be said that can impact where people spend eternity. Remember what I said before? It's a powerful thing this time. And with that comes responsibility. Say that word, responsibility. We have a responsibility as believers and Christ followers to use that in a way that's going to draw people to Christ, not make them think it's not worth it or what's any different about this than everything I hear around the water cooler at work. It's, I mean, that's, that's what the world does. We're set apart. We've got to be different. We've got to speak differently. And when we do, people are going to notice it, and people are going to be drawn to that, and then the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit starts working in miraculous ways, and people's eternal destiny can be impacted by the words that we say. I really believe that. I think that's the responsibility, and I don't know that there's a greater responsibility than that, do you? That those around us hear things that are the right things? So, look, 
in the ESV, it says in this verse, it says where it says this is not right. It says this. It says these things ought not to be. It's a little more elegant way of saying it. These things ought not to be. They ought not to be. They're not right. And if that's the way it is and it's made this clear and this definitive by the writer, we should adhere to that. Amen? We should adhere to that. Amen? That is something that I'm telling you, in my view, in my humble view, is something that can release favor and power in a body of believers if we adhere to that more than many things can do. But also to the other side of that, if we're not doing that, it can hold us back. It can hold us back. In Matthew 12, 37, it says this. The words that you say, remember before we said, the, the, the tongue is life and death. There are things that are said, it's life and death. That's pretty significant. So is this. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. They'll acquit you or condemn you. If you look that up in the dictionary, that's an antonym. You're either not guilty or you're guilty. And I'm not going to expand on that further, but other than to say that the words you say matter. They matter not only to those around you. This is another point I want you to really understand from what I'm sharing with you tonight. About the verses 9 and 10 when we said, Praising the Lord, your Lord and Father, and then, then curse those who have been made in the image of God. Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. It's not right. Let me tell you something. It's not just because it affects those around you and it could affect their eternity and it could affect so many things and it affects their spiritual condition and and they're looking at us, especially as mature Christians, as to what do they see in us. It's that. But also, God's hearing this. He's hearing every word. And he is going to hold us accountable. And that's what this verse in the other part of 1237 in Matthew says. He's going to hold us accountable for the words that we say. It's a serious, serious thing. So then, just this. If you look at a few words that can be spoken, that can just a spark create, that can create huge problems in the lives of people. That's our family, our friends, our co-workers, our church fellowship. Everyone that we encounter, even if we don't know them, your words can matter. A grocery grocery cashier, a fast food attendant, a waitress at a restaurant, do you not think that they see you praying there at the table and then if you don't treat them right in the words that you say? Maybe not, but if you have an issue, that's one thing, but it's how you say it and what you say. Do you not think that reflects on him? He's interested in what we say and how we say it. So look, the tongue, in my mind, based on what I read here in James 3, is this. It's arrogant. It's got a mind of its own. It struts, it brags, it's full of itself. That's the tongue in the natural. That's what we're dealing with. But you need to understand that when that tongue speaks, it can do everything from ruin a reputation, rupture a friendship. It can spoil or taint the most tender of moments if you don't say certain things the right way. I'm telling you, I've been guilty of this at times with my wife. And I say that openly and honestly before you. I've also asked for forgiveness. (laughs) I'm getting better. (laughs) I'm getting better. 
okay? I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be. But I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. And I am doing that through God's power in my life, not through my power. Through what He does. And, the, and through trying to lead, lead a spirit-led life. It can embarrass people, humiliate people, shame people. It can cut, hurt, injure, destroy, curse. Words of the tongue, that haughty, arrogant piece of appendage <laughs> that is just this part of the body, it is so powerful that we have to be responsible in how we do that. And so what I'm going to ask you is this. As we look to this last slide, it says this acronym. If you could use this in every opportunity you have to sort of internalize this in anything that you say. And I'm not talking about conversation like who won the game last night, t- telling a little joke that you might want to tell, talking about just, you know, general things. I'm talking about things that, that matter, consequential things. You know what those things are, things that are about other people, things that you've heard about somebody, things that you may say and try to cloak it in the idea of spirituality by making it a prayer request. Did you hear what I just said? It happens. It's happened to me. I've had people tell me that, and I know. I, it's like, you know, okay, think through this. Think, 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 think. You know, just, just think a little. But is it true? Is it true? Is what I'm going to say true? And I don't mean do you think it's true. You have to know it's true. If you want to know if it's true, you have personal knowledge of that. Not what you heard. Oh, well, it has to be true. I heard it from them. No. That's not true. That's what you may think is true. You have to have personal knowledge. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is what I'm about to say helpful? Is what I'm about to say, if it is true, is it helpful? Is it helpful to anyone? Does it inspire anyone? Is what I'm going to say make someone feel better when it's all over? Is it going to lift them up and encourage them, or is it going to bring them down and discourage them? Is it going to inspire someone? what I'm about to say. Is it necessary? Is what I'm going to say if it is all of those things, but is it necessary? Do I really have to set the record straight all the time? Do I really need to be the one to litigate every little detail of everything? That's what I struggle with, because I want to set the record straight when something's said that's not true about me, particularly, or my family, or something like that. I'm not saying there aren't times for that if done in the right way and in the right spirit, but what I'm saying is is that is it necessary? Is it re- That's a big one there. You can eliminate a lot of stuff by just saying, is it necessary? And then is it kind? Is it something that's kind? I saw this little illustration where it was these people talking and they were, and they were passing on a piece of gossip. And it was a, a little church video and they were doing it where the parent person said, oh, really? That's not... And then they turned to the next person and the camera went down and they whispered it in there. Oh, yeah, they're doing this and that. I heard, but you know, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And then they turned in the next person's ear. They were like, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, well, they're really facing a big problem. Here's what it all is and we need to pray for them. And they just kept going down the line and there were seven or eight of these people and they kept turning. And then the last person was listening and they said, and they're whispering it in their ear and, and, the, and the person's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as they turned, they turned and it was Jesus standing right there. And they said, oops. I think about that just for a minute. When we think, 
Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And then the last thing, and maybe the only thing if we can really do it, is that something we would say to Jesus? If it's not, zip it. I'm sorry, I'm being candid. Zip it. If it's not something we can say to, and guess what? Everything that we do say, he is standing there. His presence is here with us. He is present. We may not physically see him, so that's why I'm trying to illustrate, can you say it when you see him? If you turned and you said, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-oh. <laughs> and the next person I'm telling is Jesus. Do we say it? And if we say it, how do we say it? So I want to just say this as I wrap up here. I hope that this has been encouraging to you because I, I don't see this as a negative. I see this as an encouragement to me. And let me just say this. I, and I believe this in my heart. I believe this because I know how it's been on my heart. You guys know. I've talked to you guys, Mom and you, and Dad about this numerous times, this topic. God's been laying this on my heart, and I think there's a reason for it. And I have to believe, and I do believe tonight, this won't be the last time I'll be speaking about this. I don't know in what context and in what form and what the message will be, but I believe down deep in my spirit that this won't be the last time that this is said. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. I'm telling you something that I believe is from the Lord. Because I believe that as a church, as a family, as a fellowship, as a group, if we can take our church, and I say if we, when we, we can. I'm not saying we can't, we can. As as a group collective and move in greater growth in this area that I have spoke on tonight, I honestly believe that God is going to show us tremendous favor that will be spread out amongst this community and amongst the state and amongst anywhere else that we reach through our missions work, through our outreach, through people in guidance. It is going to become, it can become, the culture of this fellowship. And if that happens, I believe there's going to be great things that God is going to honor if we will do that. And I don't know how we're going to get there. I'm not saying, believe me, I'm not saying this. I'm not preaching this message tonight because I wanted to say this because we've got such a huge problem with this. In fact, from what I I don't think we do. But I think what we need to do is take those steps that I was talking about earlier, that each day we're getting better at it individually and then as a group. That each day we're getting better and this fellowship moves ahead. And in that area where the area of offense and the area of words that we speak and all of these things are brought under control, I believe that we could be a church that could be a model and exemplar that a book would be written about. I believe this now. I'm not telling you this just to say it. I believe it in my heart. I believe if we move towards that, and there may be programs, there may be systems, there may be messages, there may be other things, whatever it is, God will lead us into that. But I believe that we can start tonight. That we can start tonight as we stand here and as we leave here, that we can challenge ourselves to get better every day. Can you do that with me? Will you do that with me? Get better every day at the words that we speak. I will commit to you that I will do this. And I will do it in prayerful seeking of the Lord's help.
because I know I can't do it because I'm not going to get there. It says very clearly, I can't, we can't, tame the tongue. But he can, and he can get us better and better and better. And as we move in that, he's going to create more and more opportunities to see what it does and to see the impact of it and to see favor released. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. And I believe that there's going to be a time that he is calling us, amongst many other things, that he is calling us as a fellowship to take this seriously and be an exemplar, be a model for what God can do. Be a model in a culture that's created of what God can do when we turn it over to him and we make a determination that each day is going to be something where I'm getting better at this. I'm just getting better. I'm not perfect. I'm making a mistake, but I'm getting better because he's helping me and I'm leading a spirit-led life. Hallelujah. This is good. Not because I'm saying it. I believe it's, it's not that at all. Because I hope I haven't messed it up tonight. I believe God is doing something in this area, and I think it starts tonight. And we all know in our hearts that we can do it and get better, and we will with God's help. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this, and thank you for working out the AV and the illustrations up there. And <laughs> That's right. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for this wonderful group of people.